I'm unapologetically fly. I don't wonder why. That's just my attitude. Yeah. Okay, hey, that's just my. Uh, 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 come on. Hi guys, welcome to Glitch in the Code here on Iconic.com and I'm here with my good friend Wayne McCroy. I haven't spoke to Wayne for a little while, but his books are a couple of my, and I genuinely mean this, a couple of my favourite books to read. I've got them right here with me, right next to me. Two of his books. Um, I know you've written three and you're on your fourth at the moment, but these are the two that I've, um, I'm the wrong way around on my screen. Um, they really opened me up to understanding what is going on. It's not just the technocracy part, but the occult meanings behind why they're doing what they're doing everything has a purpose and a meaning and an occult esoteric satanic <laughs> horrific meaning and i didn't understand that so much until i started reading wayne's book so i genuinely mean that that opened up a lot of information i, I had a surface level understanding of and i know you're writing a new book wayne so um it's called the the demic are they the demic of pan is that right have i got that right yeah, the Yep, the official title is The Demic of Pan, Breaking the Natural Order, and that'll actually be available this coming week. Uh, I'm trying to get it out for the 22nd of February here, um, and there's a reason I, I picked the 22nd of February for a release date, <laughs> and we'll right. get into that as we talk on here. Okay, I'll make a, I've just made a note of that then. See, this is the point, is that people don't understand that everything has a rhyme and a reason to it. So why did you choose the, the, the term, the name, the obviously the mythological character um the god replacement of pan um to to kind of base this this new book around uh well basically when you you go back and you look at the events of the past two years you could see there's some deeper meaning involved with all of it so uh, i figured uh let's start by breaking apart the words so you break apart the word pandemic and that's derived from pan the the god the greek god of of nature uh, yeah, you know, that's depicted as a satyr, half man, half goat, and the goat archetype is a very important thing uh, that all this connects to, uh, the, the goat, the greatest of all time. That's been a popular uh, trope lately in, in media, hasn't it? Greatest of all time. And they're invoking that archetype a lot, and that's directly a, a, uh, an invoking of the pan archetype. And uh, it, it's, it's easier to try and explain these things. If you think of it in terms terms of uh, like what we would call an archetype or uh, an idea rather than thinking of pan as a god that somebody mm -hmm. worshipped or something like that this isn't an idea an energy a natural energy of sorts uh, that's that's probably the best way to think of these things and that's how these archetypal ideas um, actually manifest in in our reality it's it's not so much uh how people think of uh, ancient mythology and, and all these ancient gods and stuff like that, how people were going around worshiping these gods. Uh, that's, that's only the surface narrative of the story. There's, there's so much hidden meaning underneath all of that. And that's something that's lost on society today. So I, I've kind of made that part of my mission now is to uh, help people understand how mythical and mythological archetypes are very important to understand. And that's why all of this stuff has been taken out of our education system, all the what they would call a classical education, uh, things where they teach you about mythology and, and rhetoric and logic and all of these other things. Um, we don't really have that anymore. You, you have to go to like a, an Ivy League university to get a, a study in the classics or to get coursework in the classics to understand a lot of these ancient myths. So uh, in the beginning of all this, back in early 2020, when all these things started going down in the world, 
uh, myself and some colleagues of mine, and, and one colleague in particular, uh, everybody probably knows him as Crow Triple Seven from Crow Triple Seven Radio. We both independently of each other noticed what was going on. And when they changed the name of this, what they were calling at that time first, a quote unquote novel coronavirus 2019, when they changed the name of it to COVID-19, we both saw the same thing in that name. See, Ovid, Ovid being the, the Roman poet and the, the letter C meaning the word C, S-E-E, see Ovid. So we both picked up on that and started delving into that. And that plays an important part in a lot of this too. Uh, so what they were telling us with this is they were leveraging this archetype, this mythology archetype to make a change in this world. And uh, if you're familiar at all with Ovid, which many people probably aren't at this phase in the game and this phase in history, Ovid wrote a seminal work called Metamorphoses transformations. So that's what's being invoked here in all of these different archetypes. Uh, so that, that's kind of where I began with this book. And as far as for the title goes, the Demic of Pan. Well, if you break a word, apart the word Pan, Demic, and look at the etymological meanings of these words, the ancient roots of these words, uh, the word Demic means the people or the profane people. Okay. So, and the word Pan in a very loose sense means all. So all of the profane people. So this whole thing was intended to affect all of the profane people. And that's essentially where I began uh, with looking at this actual study in how uh, many of these occultic things work. They leverage these mythological archetypes against us. And that's not just me saying this, uh, just so people understand. Uh, they've, they have, uh, different books and white papers and, and think tank group papers out there that talk about utilizing mythological archetypes uh, to steer the public consciousness or to steer the public behavior. And uh, a very important work uh, that does this is one that's called The Changing Images of Man. And this was put out by Pergamon Press back in 1982. And, uh, and that was a, a think tank group at Stanford University that put this together. And in this, this work, they talk about how they use mythological archetypes to steer public behavior and public opinion, because it's always been import, an important thing. And they can't always uh, grasp an objective, firm, scientific uh, type of a control system for a lot of human behaviors. So they always leverage these type of archetypes uh, yeah, against so, people to understand their behavior. So just but it's an important move on idea. from that. Well, and so just, just explain to the audience why is it why is it so powerful an archetype what what is it about that that really really hits home with human beings why is it such of use for them well here's the thing uh, archetype i mean if you you go and look into carl jung uh the the famous psychologist psychiatrist uh he he was an alchemist People largely aren't aware of this, but th these ideas actually predate our modern science and predate modern psychology. An archetype, this is something that's inherent in the human experience. It's inherent in human consciousness. It's a symbol that we will understand on an unconscious level without realizing it because it, it predates uh, what you would call like uh, our, our modern science and what our, our uh, basic uh, conscious mind would comprehend. But uh, there's, there's a lot of different descriptions for this. Uh, the occultists would describe this as something like the Akashic Record. 
Um, you know, in science, they refer to it as something like epigenetic memory um, or genetic memory, these kind of things. I mean, there's certain things that we inherently know and understand when we see certain symbols on an unconscious level, but it doesn't really cross our mind consciously a lot of the time. But when we actually see the symbol, our subconscious mind will associate the symbol with this certain uh, type of energy, this archetype per se, and we will, uh, you know, understand some basic meanings behind it without really having a conscious grasp of what that is. Uh, so they could use this to manipulate emotions, manipulate uh, the way you think about things just by invoking these different archetypes in a different way. So what would uh, be a so classic one way? Just just one before we move on to what you were about to talk about. Because I just want the audience to understand, like they might not even know what an archetype is. But I just want them to understand what would be a classic one if I, you said it and then people would automatically picture it in their mind and get a sort of feeling from it okay well here's the thing i mean there's a young in depending on who you listen to in, in some of his different works he listed four classical archetypes and then uh, he also listed 12 basic archetypes as well uh, but there's a lot more of them than that but uh, just something simple like inherently um like if you were to uh, say a, a good example of this is you know if you're in a movie theater or something like that and uh, they flash the image of a tiger across the screen or something really quickly, uh, your adrenaline's gonna rise because you associate that with danger. You see, I, and, and it's, it's kind of, that's kind of a primal example of one of the ways that they use these type of things, but they use them in, in different ways and manipulate them in different ways. Okay. Uh, so that uh, when you see it, your subconscious mind will register it and cause a reaction in your subconscious mind, but your conscious mind doesn't necessarily perceive it. This is how the uh, the science, the metaphysical science of symbology works as well. Like we see these certain symbols all over the place. Well, they know that triggers an inherent archetype in our mind, something like the black cube of Saturn. See, like all of these symbols that they use across these different corporate logos and things like that, they have meanings associated with them that we recognize on a subconscious level because it's an unconscious archetype, see? Uh, so our mind will, will perceive it and it'll react to it on a subconscious level. And we won't necessarily consciously process that, but it will affect our behaviors later. And that's why they use a lot of these things. Like you would recognize uh, like very many of these symbols. And that's another good way, you know, direction to go with trying to get people to understand archetypes is look at corporate logos and the things that they, they inherently put in them, even, even simple things like colors. Colors invoke different archetypal thoughts and feelings too. Like if you, right. if you see a McDonald's, right? But if you see a McDonald's, there's a reason that they, you know, their logos and stuff are, are red and yellow because they are intended to invoke certain feelings in you. <laughs> so, uh, and, and things like that, most people, they, they wouldn't even register that, but there's absolutely a science behind it. And these people that are in positions of power in this world, understand this and they utilize these different archetypes in many ways and you know as we get deeper here into the conversation uh, i'll point out some more specific things and some more connections and stuff for you uh because uh, that's that's what this whole book is essentially about uh, what i i did is this is actually my gift to the elite power structure of this world it's a giant kick in the nuts for them <laughs> so yeah. um I, I felt um you know it it this whole thing's really become personal for me because I almost lost my wife to what they're calling COVID here a couple months back. Uh, she became really, really ill 
And it's weird how this happened. And this is, this is what really, really set me off is it was the week before Christmas. And uh, I think it was December 17th, Joe Biden comes out on television and promises a winter of sickness and death to the American people. And then within the next week, it's like all across the country, everybody became seriously sick with this thing, vaccinated and unvaccinated alike. So, I mean, that's not even like, you know, uh, a part of, uh, you know, what had happened here with it. I mean, it is, but, uh, mm. uh, and there's, there's different reasons and stuff for that. But my point of this is it didn't matter if you were vaccinated or not, everybody was getting sick. And it's almost as if they hit a switch and made everybody ill at the same time. Uh, so I started, uh, you know, after uh, we had dealt with this, because it, it went through my whole family like wildfire. Um, so we were all very sick with it. My kids, thankfully, they, they, were, they had a very mild case. Uh, they, they just, you know, had were sick for like 24 hours and they were better. I was sick for a few weeks and my wife was very, very ill. And we actually had to seek help outside of the standard medical system to treat her because she did not want to go to a hospital because uh, let's be honest, what's one of the things that's killing people with this COVID thing here in the U.S. is the hospital protocols because they, they put you in the hospital. They give you a drug called remdesivir, which is shown in, you know, clinic, the clinical studies. The one and only clinical study that Fauci based this on is the standard treatment for COVID in the hospital system. It's been shown clinically that it killed 54% of the people that took it in the clinical trial. And they, they had used other drugs in that trial as well. Well, we have, uh, it here. We have one here called midazolam, which is the same thing. Right. And, and that's the problem. I mean, a lot of these uh, centralized medical authorities are pushing these treatments that are, are pushing up the death numbers and stuff on this. So that's exactly what's been going on here in the U.S. They push this remdesivir. So they put people in the hospital, they get sick, they put them on remdesivir. Then what starts to happen is they get even sicker and their organs start to shut down and they put them on a ventilator and they pass away. And I've seen this happen to at least five or six people I know personally now uh, who, you know, um, most of which were fully vaccinated, by the way, and boosted and everything didn't help them one bit with all of this. Uh, they went to the hospital and uh, one of them was actually my wife's 43 year old cousin uh, who was relatively fit and healthy. Uh, he, he went to the hospital and sadly he passed away. Well, my wife did not wanna go to the hospital and I don't blame her and she was very, very sick. Uh, so we actually reached out because here in America we still have you know, uh, somewhat of a freedom to reach outside of uh, what would be our standard medical system to seek help. Uh, so I found a doctor named Dr. Anthony Kane, who's associated with a, an organization called America's Frontline Doctors, who was able to actually set up um, an appointment with her and did a phone appointment with her and actually ordered a prescription for ivermectin. And I know people will, will poo-poo the whole ivermectin thing, but I'll tell you from my own personal experience, it works. Yep. It works. And that should tell people something about the nature of this thing, because an anti-parasitic agent works to help combat this. And, you know, the establishment and, you know, Richard, I hope you don't plan on putting this on YouTube because they'll pull it right down instantly uh, because of what I'm saying here. But uh, uh, from my personal experience, um, you know, I could see that whatever this is that made us sick, and I don't buy the official narrative of what it is, okay, because to me, it's as if they threw a switch and everybody got sick. Uh, so I think that it's a multi-vectored attack on people. And I don't think it's a quote unquote virus as they claim that it is. 
Um, but this is what had happened. So uh, my wife was very ill and we, we got her treatment outside of the standard medical system because the medical insurance would not cover the medication or anything like that. And they wanted to actually have her go and get a PCR test and all of this stupid nonsense first, rather than just order her an antibiotic or something like I had wanted from them. Instead, I had to go outside of the medical system to get her help, to, just to get her an antibiotic, okay? So that's why I had originally called. I just wanted to get her an antibiotic because I was afraid she picked up some se secondary infection or something. Uh, so, but this doctor prescribed this uh, ivermectin and uh, there were several other protocols uh, that I used speaking to uh, different, uh, different friends who, who know things about health uh, they'd recommended some supplements and stuff that had also helped her condition significantly. And she's since recovered now. Uh, but it was very scary there for a while. I mean, she was sick for weeks and weeks and weeks. And uh, it, it was terrible. So after she finally was starting to be on the mend and I was comfortable, like I wasn't going to lose her, yeah. I really started digging into things even further than I had. And I'll tell you, the way I operate most of the time with the stuff that I do I'm an avid collector of information. Okay. So I have tons and tons and tons of files. I collect this information and I collate this information and uh, I analyze this information. So with all this information I'd since gathered, I decided, you know what, I'm going to throw together this book. I never intended to write this book. Originally I was planning on writing a, uh, a sequel to my autism epidemic book, my second book. Uh, but that got put on the back burner because I decided this is important and needs to be done now. Uh, so um, this, that's the whole idea. So I threw this book together uh, with all of the information I've collected and analyzed. And uh, I'm, my intention behind this is to show what's the occult aspect of this uh, what is the intentional aspect behind this? And to show that all this was premeditated. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. And I have uh, the documentation listed throughout the book of, of various different things, even within the scientific realm of things. So I, I cover all the bases with this book. I, I cover the occult aspect of it. That's the primary thing people need to understand because that always undergirds everything else. But I also show that it was premeditated and it was scientifically planned out through many different documents that uh, some of which I've actually covered on my, uh, on my podcast and stuff like that. So <laughs> um, a, lot, a lot of these things you see when you look at just the, the amount of evidence and the specificness of the evidence, you can walk away and understand this was all pre-planned and executed for a reason. And this is the reason. And that's, that's the heart of what I'm getting to is people need to understand the reason. And it's about changing the age, the change of ages. I know it sounds kind of hokey because uh, we've always heard, oh, the new age, the new age, the new age. Well, it all has to do with the changing of the age. And it all has to do with transhumanism. And people don't want to hear it and don't want to see it. And I know I sound like a broken record. But that's exactly what it is. But they leverage these occult archetypes and especially the mythological archetypes that escape most people on a conscious level because they've never had that classical training. So they don't understand the symbol that's been thrown in front of them that actually has an effect upon their mind. So 
I, I thought that was the most important aspect of this to point out. And that's why I started writing this book. So it actually covers uh, a lot of the bases. So, but like I said, I, this is my gift to them. I've been kicking the nuts for them because I'm taking it personally and I'm here to break their algorithms. That's my job, man. Yeah. I mean, I, I find it kind of, because you don't, you're kind of, you're on podcasts, but you're not on that many. And you know? it's like frustrating for me because as I say, one of your two books were the ones that I think that really people don't understand that level. Though they might understand the occult kind of Baphomet kind of uh, Bohemian Grove type almost kind of like um conspiracy uh i suppose it's like conspiracy or entertainment stuff but the real deep stuff that i've learned from you the hermetic principles like like, like even mac uh, macro trudeau's coming out and saying that rhetoric is now a crime it's a crime of speech it's a speech hate crime is now speech saying that you don't agree with it is a crime so rhetoric and i know from your work i've rhetoric is one of the seven hermetic principles didn't have a clue about that i think i've got that almost right um the the i didn't know that until you your i started reading your work like the things that rhetoric was an issue and now he's using it as a an occult kind of weapon he's weaponized rhetoric right and and that's the thing these politicians they understand rhetoric and they use rhetoric they're trained rhetoric they get that in a classic education this goes back to the the principles of what's called the trivium and the quadrivium this is mm -hmm. all part of the classic education that we no longer get but don't make a mistake about it the private schools and stuff that many of these elite class go to they learn this stuff they learn how to use rhetoric politicians use rhetoric all the time so let's that's, dive that's into the pan then because how does this work then? How let's get into the pan part of it and how how this kind of all ties in and why you use that as the kind of main linchpin for what you're you're trying to kick them in the nuts with. <laughs> okay, well here's what you need to understand. Okay, uh, when we go back and we look, and uh, they clearly told us to see Ovid. Well, when you look in the story of Ovid, there's a story about Pan. All right, and not only that, there's a story about a pandemic. Uh, which which uh, like puts all this stuff off. Um, so basically, when we look at the pan archetype, we can see a lot of these different things going on with it. And one of the big stories about pan is uh, back in ancient Greece, and this happened, this is actually recorded, uh, it's, it's used kind of as mythology, but it's also recorded as historical fact. Uh, there's a story of, and I forget which I can look and see in my notes here in just a second here, but uh, one of uh, the popular philosophers of the time, let me see, let me scroll through. I don't want to tie you up for too long. So much information going you're through fine. my mind. So, so just while you're so, looking at that, so Ovid was, right. a, was known as an English, it is known in English as Ovid, was a Roman poet who lived during the reign of Augustus, right. he was a contemporary of the older Virgil and Horace. Horace is a name that, that jumps out there. Right. Uh, yeah. So th that's the other thing. I mean, when you actually look back at these, these poets and stuff like that, these classical poets, uh, these are the playbooks that the elite use for planning things. These are the archetypes that they invoke. This is why they use mythology. And they tell you where it's coming from. That's why they told us, see Ovid. So when you go to Ovid in Metamorphosis, you see not only did he have a story about Pan, but of the pandemic, of a pandemic actually happening. Uh, and this happened, uh, you know, in, uh, I forget what the specific book of Ovid was, because there's there's uh, uh, 
15 different books in Ovid, if I'm not mistaken, it's split up. It's, it's like, it's, it's tremendous. There's, there's so much in Ovid and it hits on over 250 different myths. And uh, there's, there's a lot of archetypes. That's why they use it as a playbook. So when you see when, that they're telling you see Ovid and you look in Ovid and you find uh, Pan and it's associated with a pandemic, uh, you start to look around and wonder, okay, what is it about Pan that's being invoked here? Uh, so we go back to a story of Pan that's actually told by Plutarch. Now, this is the one that's important here. Um, Plutarch tells the tale of uh, there was a ship captain named Famous, all right? Um, and he was sailing around uh, the Isle of Paxi. He was on his way back to Greece uh, around Paxi. And he heard a voice yell out from the ocean, okay? From out, like a disembodied voice from the ocean call his name. And he thought he was hearing things, right? But here's the other, there's the kicker. Everybody on the boat heard it too, heard the voice calling his name. So the voice called his name a second time and he answered, all right? The voice told him the great God Pan is dead. And it told him that when he gets offshore that he needed to announce this to the island. So he still, he didn't know at that point the rest of the ship had heard this too. So he thought to himself, okay, well, maybe I'm going crazy. Uh, so here's what I'll do. I'll leave it in the hands of the fates. When I get close to, to the shore, if the weather's bad, I'll just sail on and say nothing about it. But if the weather's clear, I'll announce that when we get close enough to shore. So what happens is he sails close to shore. And uh, when he gets close to shore, the weather's good. So he's like, okay, I'm not going nuts. So he loudly announces to all the people, the great pan is dead. And there was lamenting and, and stuff like that all across the island. And everybody was saddened by it because they, they knew that Pan was dead. The god Pan was dead. And this is very symbolic, okay? And uh, we'll, we'll get to the reasons why. And I, I go over this in the book uh, because it's kind of lengthy to talk about in a conversation. But um, the whole point behind this was uh, this parody between Pan and Christ. Because this happened actually in the lifetime of Christ. That's what I was saying. So, there was a cult of Pan at the same time Christ was alive. Right. There were there were these cults of Pan, and this is what happened. They announced Pan was dead. Okay. Uh, so this created a rift um, in in a lot of the different uh, mystery theologies and stuff like that at the time. Uh, but later on what had happened is the Christian mystics and, and different Christian theologians, they understood that the announcement of the great God Pan is dead meant that it was the new age, the start of the new age, the birth of Christ. See, that the new Messiah had come. This was the age of a new God. So this is, this is what this portends. So the death of Pan during the lifetime of Christ announced, hey, the new Messiah is here. Right. Okay. okay. This is yeah. this is the new religion for the ages. So it created this kind of parody, this connection between Pan and Christ. And the other interesting thing is the name of the, the captain who announced this, his name was Thamus, which if you look back to the etymology of that, it means twin, which invokes the idea of twin. So Pan and Christ, twin towers, twin pillars that this is built upon. So what this creates is... Uh, 
what I call the pan-Christ dynamic. Okay, I, I don't know a better name for it. I had to come up with terms for this myself to try to convey the idea. And what this is, is this is a time period, a time frame of the switching over between ages. And that's exactly what was going on because this was during the lifetime of Christ and the death of Pan and they overlapped. And this was the birth pangs of a new age. And it's the same thing we're going through here. So we're, we're seeing the reversal, the inverse of this pan-Christ dynamic going on. So they're trying to do away with Christ as God and replace it with, uh, well, this will be in total inversion of what pan is, which is actually a representation called Baphomet, which you touched upon, interestingly, in the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so well, they, this they're is what's the going on. They're, they're doing it in very reverse. Similar, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, they go uh, so they're, half they're, goat, half man. So, you, you mean, it's the connection inversion. Yes, it's, it's the inversion, see, because when you look at Baphomet, he has the head of a goat, whereas mm. Pan had the head of a man and the lower half of a goat. Oh. It's an inversion process, see. Okay. And this is how uh, these things work alchemically. So this is, they're trying to work the reverse into the age. They're trying to shift us backwards, so to say. So Wayne, does this have a, have a thing with, you know, obviously Pan's got the, the twisted fingers and he's so above as below. Would that be the reverse of that? They'll be reversing that so above as below. That would be connected. Yeah, the as above, so below aspect of it is definitely connected. They always uh, tie all these things together. Uh, so, And there's just so much depth to a lot of this, depth of meaning, that's kind of hard to convey, uh, which is why I decided to sit and write a book, because it, it's hard to linearly put these things together for people in a conversation. But uh, essentially, what's going on is... They're using, they're invoking the archetype of Pan to usher in a new age. That's what's going on in the world. Uh, so they've used the, this coronavirus to do so, and they're invoking different archetypes with that as well to empower it more. Uh, the archetype of the corona, the crown. See, this is their, their crowning achievement. And I, I do cover some of this stuff in my previous book, Cybernetic Messiah, uh, where I talk about uh, how they use the, the you know, the the crowned and conquering child aspect of it uh, to bring in this coronavirus pandemic. Uh, so essentially what's going on is they're invoking this archetype. They're creating this changeover of ages. It's this time frame. They have a very small window of time to do this because what they're trying to do is hijack what they're calling the Great Awakening. Yeah. And I'm sure we've all heard the Great Awakening. And there are people uh, beginning to realize things that have been going on from time immemorial now that has been going on behind what they call the veil. So people are beginning to see this. So in order to quell this great awakening, they're trying to invoke this archetype of pan and quell it back down. See, so that's what's going on. They're trying to switch the age because when you go back and you look at these different archetypes through, uh, you know, astrology and mythology and stuff like that, you could see right now what they're saying is we're in the crossroads between the age of Pisces or the age of Christ and the age of Aquarius, which Aquarius is the age of man. Okay. Aquarius is represented as a man. Uh, so what they're actually trying to do is rather than go forward, shift forward from the age of Pisces to the age of Aquarius, they're trying to bypass Aquarius altogether and skip directly to Capricorn, the goat. You see the archetype here? Because this will set people back spiritually so that they can be more easily controlled and manipulated. Because see, what, what are goats? They're livestock. 
they're herd animals, right? So that's what they're trying to do on an esoteric type level or subconscious level. They're trying to quell this great awakening by skipping through the age of Aquarius, through the age of man, the enlightenment of man, okay? Because that's what that's always been archetypally represented as. And that's why they're trying to push this in reverse and, and you know, push back to the, the pan idea. So uh, that that's one of the things going on. And it's, I, I hope I didn't lose everybody. No, this. it's perfectly, I, I absolutely follow that. And it's fascinating. Please, please go on. It's, it's absolutely fascinating. So that's, that's the basic premise behind what's been going on in the world today. And they have used this uh, pandemic idea. And you'll notice they, they say pandemic um, <laughs> because that's what exactly what they're invoking. Pan, it's right in the name, pandemic. They could have called it an epidemic, mm. an international epidemic, or they could have called it something else. But no, it's it's all in the wordplay, and it's well, always in, about in the In two thousand and eight, the World Health Organization or, or purposely changed the meaning of epidemic and pandemic, and they changed the pandemic to cases instead of deaths. So this was obviously and that was from the original SARS. So they um, were prepping for this, or even at least tried it a good right. nine, eleven years before they before this round, this go at it. Oh, yeah. I mean, this stuff goes way back, but that's that's another thing I actually point out in the new book. All the different uh, different white papers and planning documents and stuff they've had in place for this that simulate this very thing that's happened. I mean, almost down minute details on a lot of it. Uh, so it, it's, it's really kind of telling. You could tell there's been pre-planning involved with this. And like I said, they're invoking that archetype of Pan to get this done because they're looking to try and shift over this new age into something that's more controllable for them. It's all about technocracy in their view. Uh, they, they want to have that total control structure in place. And if there's a great awakening going on and people are waking up and deciding to go uh, the route of individualism, well, that does not benefit these elite family bloodlines in positions of power, does it? They wanna maintain their control. They wanna be the gods of this world. Uh, and that's what transhumanism is all about. They really think they could pull that off by using these modern technologies and stuff that we do have. Uh, so that's what they're pushing for, but they won't need everybody to fall in line in order for that to happen. So they take this archetype, this pan archetype, and they utilize it in a pandemic sense where they could invoke fear in the hearts of the people and make them believe a false thing. All right, and uh, that's the other aspect of this that I talk about. And a lot of this uh, has a lot of scientific backing and reasoning behind it too, not just occult reasoning and you know that, that kind of thing, esoteric type reasoning. So what they've essentially done here with this whole idea is let's, let's go back and we'll take a look at the rollout of all this, all right? Yeah. Um, how did they say that this whole epidemic or pandemic started? bats was was from bats but where did it initially start but if you Wuhan. remember back to december 2019 and the earliest earliest phases of this where did they say the first cases came from i believe it was wuhan wasn't it wuhan china the bat market yeah. that's where they said and then they changed it well it wasn't bats started. it was the fish market that's it yeah it was the fish market but they said it, it had uh so you know morphed from bats precisely the fish the fish is a symbol of christ See, the pan-Christ dynamic here that I talk about. Uh, so there was panic 
at the fish market. And that's actually the title of chapter one of the new book, Panic. And the word panic comes directly from Pan, by the way, uh, because Pan had the power in ancient myth uh, to cause animals and people alike uh, to start to stampede and become very afraid uh, by the sounding of his horn and whatnot. Uh, so that's where the term panic comes from. That's where the words derived from. So this is exactly what had happened. There was panic at the fish market. But here's the, the other thing, and here's the kicker part of it that kind of uh, gives a little bit of insight into uh, how the elites of this world operate and, and why they do the things they do. When you look back at the initial cases, all right, the very first case that they associated with this new novel coronavirus occurred December 1st, 2019, exactly 44 days after their event 201 scenario in New York City at Johns Hopkins, which was funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and the World Economic Forum. Um, and all these things in 44 days is a very uh, important uh, number in occult uh, numerology. It encodes death's doors. So for exactly 44 days after is when they, at, at first, when they first came out in the news cycle and announced they found that there was this new novel coronavirus around or there, what they were calling the Wuhan flu at the, at the time or some new, new flu uh, that was arising in China. December 1st was the first case. Well, they later went ahead and changed that. Okay, because here's the thing. At first, they reported this case on December 1st, and then there were 13 other cases that they reported of this, but they weren't associated with the fish market at all. See, none of them. None of them were initially associated with the fish market. So later on, after this happened, when people weren't paying attention, they went ahead and they shifted the facts around, and they said, the first case arise, arose in, on December 8th and came from the fish market, and they traced everything back to this fish market. So they had 14 other cases that weren't associated with the fish market, right? Well, the number 14 is also highly symbolic because this is the number that represents the lost word of Freemasonry or the lost phallus of Osiris, uh, you know, the, uh, the generative principle, okay? Uh, so the generative principle. So they threw that into the mix too. So this generates a new mythology, you see, because they went ahead, they changed the, the historical, the quote unquote, historical facts about how this started. It started in the fish market. See, it had to start in the fish market for them to utilize the archetypes how they wanted. Yeah. See, so even though factually, when you go back and you see it, at first, when this thing first arose, it was December 1st. And you could go back and research this. That's directly from Johns Hopkins' website, that the first case was December 1st. And then you could look through the news articles, and I cite all this in the book. Then they go back later, and they claim that it changed, that the first case arose on December 8th, 2019. Okay? And it came from the fish market. And they all derived from the fish market. So they're lying. They're out and out lying, provably to people about the origins of this thing. And the reason they're doing it is so that they specifically, so they can invoke this archetype because they needed that panic at the fish market, see, in order to connect the pan and Christ idea, the dynamic to create uh, what we could call this, uh, uh, this small time frame, this changeover, this, this window of opportunity, this nexus between ages where they can start to shift things. They could shift to the public, the public consciousness in a way. Uh, with these different ideas. So that, that's what they were invoking with that. 
Uh, I know that's a mouthful and that's a lot. No, no, no. And I hope, like I said, I hope I'm not losing people on this because some of this stuff gets very deep and you have to try to uh, think outside the box a little with how things operate. Uh, where did we leave off? We left off with, uh, you know, how this all originated yeah. and how they shifted the initial story as to relate to the fish market. And they had to do that in order to in invoke the archetype. And the panic. Uh, yeah. To do that, to get the, the panic started with it. Uh, so that's essentially where the whole idea arose from and how they invoke this pan archetype into things. Uh, so here's the other aspect of it. Like I said, uh, a lot of, uh, you know, Christian uh, theologians and historians and stuff understood that uh, because, you know, of the announcement of pan's death, that Christ was born. Okay. And this was the switch over of the ages. All right. This is an accepted thing in a lot of theology. So, um, it goes a step deeper here. Back in 1966, this is before you and I were around, the New York Times put a big headline out that said God is dead and talked about the whole debate of how God is dead, right? Uh, so this is a precursor, an announcement of this thing to come. Uh, this is what they, they're trying to invoke in reverse with this archetype, okay? So you can see pre-planning on an occult level going all the way back to at least 1966 with this, and that's an important year, uh, 66. They always use uh, what they call these master numbers with things, and 66 is associated with satanic things. Uh, let's put it that way. Uh, they use it for that. And a lot of people have actually speculated that was the year the Antichrist was born and this and that. Uh, there's all these different ideas out there about it. But in 1966, the New York Times had a big uh, headline that talked about it. And this is an older debate. This actually goes back to the work of Nietzsche and some other philosophers from earlier back in the late 1800s, where they were talking about the idea of God being dead, because uh, what Nietzsche meant by that is he was afraid that if man, um, with the new modern industrial revolution going on, was able to uh, understand things on a different level scientifically than he had before, well, he didn't need God anymore. And he was afraid this would lead to what he called nihilism or nihilism. Uh, however you want to pronounce that the proper way. I think the proper pronunciation is nihilism, uh, where uh, people would have no sense of purpose, and that would become a very bad thing, and people would become morally repugnant. Uh, so that's what Nietzsche was concerned with. Although he was a staunch atheist, he was afraid that if man got to this point where uh, he didn't believe in a god, he had no purpose. See, he would have no purpose in life. Uh, so he, he came up with different ideas as to, um, you know, how maybe man would eventually evolve to where he had a purpose outside of that. And man didn't need God anymore, that man would become God. See, uh, so this idea of, of God is dead, it originated in one of his works as far as being popular in the public consciousness. Now, there had been some de debate between different philosophers at around his time with this whole God is dead notion, but it became really popularized in 1966 by the New York Times. And that's what this was talking about, the old debate of, you know, is God dead? And what does that mean for mankind? Because see, at this point, uh, you know, much of the world had fallen away from Christian theology and the Christian faith and had stopped going to church and observing different religious observances the way they had and, and behaving in the moral way they had in the past. Uh, so 
they saw this as a very liberal thing, right? The whole God is dead thing. Well, man could make his own way. And it was kind of a, an empowering of this uh, secular movement. Uh, so that, that's what had come about. So uh, this was a pre-echoing of this whole pan idea coming that came, uh, arose here in early 2020. And hindsight's always 2020, isn't it? Uh, we wouldn't recognize it back then. But now when we look back, we could see it, that that's exactly what it was. Uh, and, and there's more to this story too, if you want to touch on that. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I mean, where this is going, this is it's fascinating, especially for moving moving through the ages. And I want to touch on um the I'd like to go into the awakening, this awakening thing, because I know other researchers out there, they talk about this being aware of what this awakening is, this fake or false awakening that is gonna lead us down like almost like a soft transhumanism as opposed to the hard 1984 police state. It will be the uh the lesser of two evils, but actually it will just be like a soft pillow over the face instead of a kick in the nuts. And I, and I want to kind of cover the, the awakening because I feel like that's just as, that's, got, that, that's a, a fake end, right. a trap as much as anything else. Well, that, that's part of it too. It, it's yeah. all kind of a trap. Uh, it's just a matter of, see, they've been trying to debate uh, what's the better angle to take with this because they have two different game books or, or game plans that they, they've used for this and they've laid out. One's called 1984. The other one's called Brave New World. Yeah. So yeah, which, which end are they leaning towards? Uh, you're saying like the hard line uh, um, authoritarian type that is 1984. They, they're tr trying to step away from that and go in with the softer version, which would be the Brave New World one which talks about, you know, uh, new drugs and stuff will make man so he accepts his slavery and servitude and, and you know, that kind of thing. And yeah, you'll have nothing to, and you'll be happy. Yeah, and you'll, you know, they'll, they'll pick and choose who gets to reproduce and how and that kind of stuff and what, what uh, class you, you fall in or what, uh, uh, what caste system you fall in, that kind of thing. Uh, so, I mean, they, they lay these things out in works of fiction, and they've done that from time immemorial. That's why they use uh, uh, a lot of times entertainment to give people the heads up as to what's coming uh, without actually rolling it out first. They tell you what they're going to do in the entertainment first. They've done that from as far back as we could look. I mean, you just have to look in, in the books at the time. And now we have something even better. We have film or television uh, where they could give you just these visual images that you don't even really have to think about as much. It'll just hit the archetypes in your unconscious mind and implant the idea that way. Uh, so that's absolutely what they do. Uh, I, I forgot to, to point out an important, uh, an important point here. See, when uh, that uh, story by Plutarch of where uh, the, the captain, the boat captain announced the great pan is dead. When that happened, that, was, that demarcated the end of the age of Ares, the ram. Right, uh, which okay. was represented by Pan as well. And, yeah. and the, you know, they roll over into the age of Pisces, which was Christ. Mm -hmm. So now they're doing the opposite. They're trying to invoke the Capricorn idea because that's actually the age after Aquarius. So they're trying to skip through uh, the age of Aquarius, so to say, in a sense, when you look at this. And this is why I think I, I, I try to tell people, think of it as more of an idea than like a firmly established thing, like instead of saying like an astronomical age, the age of Aquarius, where, you know, we have to shift through, you know, this uh, part of space or, or whatever to get there. And it's all denoted by the stars. It's an idea. It's a natural energy. 
of sorts. So they're trying to skip through that age. And this is actually uh, a way of breaking the natural order of things. Because see, if you go back to uh, the hermetic ideas, the hermetic principles, uh, there's the hermetic principle of rhythm. Okay, this is one of the ba basic seven basic hermetic principles. Principle of rhythm. Everything happens in a cycle. Everything's cyclical. It all goes through its phases and cycles. Well, they're trying to skip part of the cycle. See, they're trying to invoke these energies to skip part of the cycle. If they do that, they will have succeeded in breaking the natural order of things. And that's exactly what they're trying to do to quell this great awakening thing that's going on. Uh, and that's why they're invoking these archetypes so hard. And that's why they're pushing everything they're pushing so hard, especially the vaccines, because this is intended to change mankind on a fundamental level. Mm -hmm. I mean, physically on a fundamental, fundamental level, like, you know, we're talking uh, as to what you are, what your basic components are and that kind of thing. Well, and that's Klaus the reason Schwab why. Says in his new book, in his latest book. Um, the great narrative instead of the great reset is latest one. Right. He even says that these these vaccines are gene. They turn the genes on and off. Um, I have spoke to a lady recently, uh, Ariana Love, that says it's gene deletion, not just on and off. It's gets rid of them completely. So they are changing, and he, they're openly admitting that that these mRNA, they're not vaccines. They're, they're gene gene therapies. Gene right. therapies. It, it, yeah. It, it never even until they just changed the definition within the past two years, it never even qualified Absolutely medically no. No. by definition as a vaccine. People don't uh, realize that they're making their body, they're turning their bodies into a, a pathogen factory. You're making right. a pathogen. They're, they're tricking your body with a code to make the, make the pathogen. And then your body's trying to get rid of the pathogen. So they're making you sick to make you better. It's it's a kick in the nuts to put a plaster on it to see how quick you heal. It's just like, don't kick me in the nuts. And it's may it's mad. They're not giving you a dead virus or, 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 a, or an old, you know what I mean? It's a, a minor part of the virus. So your body reacts to it and learns to build an immunity. It's tricking your body to produce the actual illness. Right. It's incredible. And isn't it? People don't know this. No, people don't know this. And Here's the other aspect of this whole thing that people don't understand. And this is, this is an important and pivotal point in everything I wrote in this book. Um, essentially, when they want to make a, a change in the world like this that they've, they've accomplished the past two years, the first thing they need to do is change people's minds about it. Okay, because this all ties back to the very first hermetic principle, and this is called the principle of mentalism or the principle of mind, that mind precedes all. Everything comes from thought. Okay, everything emerges from your mind, from thought. So in order to bring this about, first they had to convince people that this thing that hadn't existed up until that point does now exist. Okay, so, and this actually draws upon different works too. Um, and, and I cite this in my book when you actually go and there's a way that the gentleman who wrote this book phrases it uh, that acts, is actually very spot on for this whole thing, how it works. And this book's called Simulations by a gentleman named Gene Baudrillard. And this book has always been highly touted as probably the main uh, um, inspiration for the movie The Matrix. Okay, okay, just to give people, uh, a, you know, a clue into how the, the elite operate with this stuff. But essentially, what has happened is first they came out, they told the world, there's this new novel virus, it's a new type of flu, 
but it's not really the flu, okay? It's, it's a coronavirus, okay? They invoked the corona archetype, the archetype of the sun, the corona, it relates to the sun and the crown, royalty, okay? Mm-hmm. So they're empowering this idea with this corona because everything, the sun, it always points back to the sun and all the occultism and stuff like that because that's the main thing that powers this world we're in. Uh, we wouldn't be able to survive without the light of the sun here, right? Uh, and it's, it's an, a symbol of source, Okay, that's what the sun is. So they invoke this symbol of the corona, which also represents the crown, royalty, see, um, elitism in a, in, in a sense. They invoke this archetype with this thing and they convince people, okay, we have this new disease in the world and uh, it's a coronavirus. It's not a flu. It's not like anything we've ever seen before. So what they did is they implanted this idea into people's minds. Uh, And in so doing, they pretty much successfully rebranded the flu, okay? So bear with me here, okay? So what they did is they came up with this this story. This is a new coronavirus, and this was based upon uh, this new sickness that had emerged in China that they later changed the story and said it relates to this fish market, okay? Uh, So they went ahead and they tested people and they found uh, some genetic material, which about 80% matched SARS-CoV-1. You remember the SARS, mm-hmm. the original SARS virus? Well, they say that this source material matched about 80%. So they said, well, close enough. We're going to call this SARS-CoV-2. Yeah. And they didn't have the complete genome, mm-hmm. right? So within a matter of about, oh, I don't know, less than, what, two weeks or something like that, the Chinese scientists allegedly were able to uh, uh, map out this entire genome. And how they did so is they ran it in a computer as a simulation in the computer. They put what they knew, this whatever this protein sequence was that they found uh, that related 80% to this SARS-CoV-1, they put that in the machine, right? And then they decided, well, we're gonna try and match pairs here and see what would fit on this end and this end. And they piecemealed together a genome, okay? Uh, combining together genomes from SARS-CoV-1, the AIDS virus, Mm -hmm. and uh, various other little bits and pieces uh, that they were able to actually fit in and show how it would fit into the sequence. Because, and this this gets pretty complicated, and you would have to understand uh, genetics and stuff to fully comprehend how they piecemealed this all together. But essentially, they took something bits and pieces of different things and they sequence them together in a fashion that would work in the computer to generate this genetic code for this virus that didn't exist in reality anywhere. They've never been able to find it and they've never been able to sequence it. They created this sequence in a computer and they modeled genetic therapies after this. So if you think back to the early days of the pandemic, back in early 2020, and they announced uh, that it was a pandemic and all of these different things fell in place in early 2020. I think it was March 11th was the date uh, that they, they really pushed this whole thing. When you think back to those early days and we were looking around and I remember when you we were filming the documentary, Richard, and we were talking and stuff, it's like the streets were empty. People were afraid. It was they were putting, yeah, they got people to put on masks and stay home. And uh, I don't know about you, but throughout the entirety of 2020, I didn't personally know anybody no, who got not at all. 
got sick with this, let alone deathly sick with this. Now, people got sick, like uh, in January of 2020, my family and I, we got sick with what we thought was the flu. We tested negative for the flu. They told us, oh, it's just this uh, respiratory virus that's going around, go home, get rest. And we did, and we recovered, no problem. Okay, so in my view, that's what happened. There was a new flu, a new strain of flu. It wasn't really flu, it was just something that was circulating. It was just a, a mild respiratory virus. So they took bits and pieces of this, piecemealed it together with other genetic sequencing in the computer, and then generated it later. Because like I said, I didn't know anybody through the entirety of 2020 that got really sick with this or died. Well, after the vaccine rollout, mm. then cases of this started to emerge in people I know, and people started getting sick and dying, and the symptoms were much more severe uh, in a lot of cases, and they were different symptoms, because remember how they went through this whole list of symptoms and uh, uh, like everything, yeah, everything, everything was this whole, it was COVID, it's all COVID, like all of it, <laughs> and they went ahead and they changed up uh, you know, like the hospital protocols to increase the death numbers. And they, you know, piecemealed all the data together. They, here in the US, I don't know how they did it over there in the UK, but in the US, what they did is they stopped uh, counting cases of the flu. They stopped yeah, <laughs> tracking the, the flu, yeah. right? So they, they threw this all together in one category and you can look right on the CDC website and they, they admitted to all this, it's, it's all there. They, they had a category there called PIC, which was pneumonia influenza COVID. They lumped it all together in that and called it all COVID, all of it. And there were like, I don't know, like 400 cases of the flu or something for the entire year, <laughs> which is absurd, absurd. But uh, so this is what they did. So they, they named everything COVID. They got people to believe that this disease was there, okay? And that it was out there affecting people when it wasn't, it didn't exist in this reality. But see, they empowered the idea by implanting that idea in enough minds to make it begin to manifest in this world. And, and then they went ahead and they sequenced together this stuff in a, in a computer and they built it, okay? And they put it in the vaccines and they set it loose on society. And now we in 2021 and all through 2021, we see people really coming down with this thing that didn't exist in 2020, but now it exists. And this is nefarious. And this is exactly what they did in my view. They, they implanted the idea in people's brains, got them to buy into the narrative, got them to believe in this thing. And then in some sense, what this does is when your mind precedes all according to the hermetic principle, if you believe it to be so, your perception is reality. Uh, so it's the power when you perceive suggestion. it to be, right, yeah. it makes it manifest in some way, shape, or form. And then they went ahead and decided to uh, go ahead and sequence this thing together in a computer and decide, okay, this is what it looks like. So we're going to put this in these vaccines, which I have all kinds of problems with the whole vaccine narrative too, because mm -hmm. uh, when you look at all these uh, different doses that they've produced and administered through this whole thing, well, first of all, what's the manufacturing capacity of this? How long does it take to make a standard vaccine? Think about that. Mm -hmm. And how much of it could you pu push out at one time, right? Well, they had more doses than what's phys physically possible to produce ready. Yeah. So they had to be preparing this well ahead of time, first of all. Yeah. And second of all, they're, they've been talking about supply chain crisis, right? 
How come this hasn't affected the vaccine supply? Well, exactly. Or the vaccine supply chain? Think about that. Especially you have some of these vaccines that require special refrigeration protocols and stuff. Uh, so if you're having like a supply chain issue and a logistics issue with getting product moved around the world, um, that would be one of the first things that would be affected by a supply chain crisis because not everybody has the refrigeration capacities to haul this stuff around. Uh, so, but it's never been affected, has it? You could get a vaccine down at the supermarket. You could call your church, go down to the local pharmacy, mm -hmm. any, like anywhere. You don't even need an appointment some places. Just walk in, get your shot. The supply chain crisis, <laughs> I use that term loosely because it's, it's, it's contrived. It's all contrived, folks, all of it. The supply chain crisis should have affected that before anything else, and it hasn't. Uh, so what they've done, in my view, is very nefarious. They took this thing that didn't exist. They implanted the idea in people's minds, and it became manifest in reality as a result of that. And they went ahead. They used a computer to build a simulation of what they thought it should look like, and then they rolled it out. And this all pulls together into where we're at today. Uh, so, you know, that's my view as to what happened. And that's kind of the breakdown as to how this stuff had come along, because most people are unaware of that, that basically when this thing first emerged and they started to try to sequence the gene structure, the genetic structure of it, um, well, it was an 80% match to SARS-CoV-1, uh, according to them. And then the rest, they piecemealed together using various different viral, viral sequences, viral protein sequences that they thought would work in its place. So they, they created this thing in a lab and they don't want people to know that. So that's why they'll stick to the fish market story, uh, aside from the fact that they, they also are, are invoking the occult archetype they want from that. It's incredible. And then obviously we come back to what I just said um, earlier about the fact that, that you know your body now is a, like a, a pathogen lab and it's making this. So it didn't exist before. They made it in, they, they pieced it together in a lab. They've injected it this code into your body and your body has created what the code has told your body to create. And then supposedly your body will learn to fight off the thing that didn't exist anyway, because your body actually created it. And that to me sounds like a little bit like your body is basically going to fight itself and destroy its own immune system. And there is a word for that. And I can't, what is it called? Um, what's it called? Autoimmune deficiency. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's autoimmune disorders. Uh, there's also uh, what, what's it called? Uh, um, oh, I'm trying to think What's there's the a couple different terms that they use. I know exactly what you're thinking of your, uh, antibody, de antibody dependent enhancement. Yes, that's it. Um, there, there's, there's all kinds of different storm and the, the, yeah, cytokine storms. Yeah. And, and this, like, so you're basically, you're, you've created something and now people are spreading it in between each other. And then in the UK, we have Prince Harry coming out, telling people they need to get HIV tests regularly. And then you're coming out and saying, and they're starting to push the AIDS Thing out now as well mm -hmm. um people's immune system is shot yeah and that's all by design because yep. see that's how they're going to get people to buy into the transhumanist system okay uh, your immune system doesn't work anymore so now in order to prevent you from getting sick and dying you have to take this genetic therapy every year think about that you have to take the next upgrade it's the next upgrade See, that's what they're doing. And it, it's all nefarious. And, and when people think transhumanism, they're thinking in very tech type ways where, oh, sure. we're going to be like cyborgs and stuff like that. No, they're using, uh, you know, biological 
things to enhance humanity as well. And, and that's all part and parcel of what's going on. So, I mean, it all ties together and that's exactly what they've done. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and quote some scripture here. Know ye not that ye are the temple of the Lord. Your body is the temple of God. Okay. And uh, I'll also quote uh, where it talks about where Jesus said uh, about uh, when you see uh, the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel, know that the, the time is at nigh with this. Well, what's the abomination of desolation? It's desolating the temple, right? It's, it's, uh, it's um, sacrileging the temple. Well, what's the temple? Your body is the temple. So this thing is an abomination. See, it's creating an abomination. Uh, so when, when you look at it from that perspective, I mean, there's a lot of different symbolic meaning tied with that as well. Uh, so, you know, we could see all these different ideas becoming manifest around us with this whole thing. But that, that's essentially my viewpoint as to what happened. They, you know, rolled out this thing, didn't exist at first, and they convinced people it did. Then they built it and started spreading it around. And now people are really getting sick with it. And uh, at some point, um, you know, uh, it's, it's causing these different autoimmune disorders and, and notably things like myocarditis and heart problems and all these different things in people. And uh, they still keep doubling down on it, don't they? They do. Even I got a letter from, I was in the Great Ulm Street as a kid, a lot. Great Ulm Street is our biggest child, children's hospital, probably in the world, but it's very, it's a famous hospital. And I was in there for, for years um, on and off. For, um, when I was born with that and esophagus and um, they sent a letter through last week and on the back of the letter you turn it over and it's got what to do if your child has a heart attack that's insane that the was fuck? never a thing what the yeah, fuck that was is a child a having a heart attack it's on the Great Ormond Street and it's it's sad to see it and I've, I screenshot it and sent it to Gaz I was like what is this about you're, you're pushing out the fact that it's normal for children to have heart attacks we know it's not it's horrific to see it. It's almost like I can't quite believe it's happening. Right. And it, it, that's the whole thing. So they're trying to normalize all this yeah. stuff that goes along with it. Like they've been trying to normalize mask wearing in public and stuff like that mm -hmm. uh, during this whole thing. Yeah. You know, wear the mask. It's, you know, it'll keeps you safe and keeps me safe. And no, it, it's all nonsense. All it's of absurd. It. Yeah, it is. It's absurd, but they just keep pushing absurdity after absurdity after absurdity and people are eating it up still. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, and they run right out and get their next booster shot. I don't know how many booster shots they're up to there in the UK, but here it's at least four or five. Now. I think we're on two here because obviously it's all been rolled back and they've kind of stood back right. off it. Something spooked them. I'd like to so, so where, where we are, and I want to find that picture just to show you and prove through what I'm saying, um, which we'll do in a minute. But So we're here and they want to push us past the age of Aquarius. And where do we head from here? They're going to go on these principles. What is, what is their game plan going forward to get us past that and into the into the next age well just what they're doing i mean it's the rollout of the vaccine and not just the vaccine the whole concept of a vaccine passport or a health pass uh log everybody into a biometric uh system uh where you're id'd through this system and all your information's tied to it it's it's an artificial intelligence control grid that's what they want they want everybody in this system so you can't buy or sell unless you're in the system uh, and, you know, further, further leverage people and force them, coerce them into getting these treatments and stuff like that. Uh, so it's, it's going to be biometrically tied to your health, this health pass. And we see this rolling out in other countries, especially over there in Europe, uh, like, like Italy, I think has like, you know, 
gone off the rails with it and Germany was doing an awful lot with it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's sick. It really is, but that's what they're pushing. They want a health pass. You have to show that you've been vaccinated to go here or there. Well, at some point, this is all going to tie together, not only in that way, just showing, okay, I'm vaccinated. Right. Yeah. Well, the next step beyond that, they've already gone digital with all this. So it doesn't take much to attach your bank account to it. Uh, your, your driver's license, your, you know, all your different identifying things, all of your different financial information, uh, all your different biometric information, tie it all together. And then here's what's coming next. The social credit score, which has already been rolled out and utilized in China. That'll all be attached to it too. And that's what people aren't realizing. So you step out of line and say something they don't like, boom, they deactivate your bank account in a second. And we see that going on over here in North America because there's a uh, these truckers yep. that have been forming blockades and stuff to protest this stuff. Well, they just shut down the GoFundMe funding for some of these truckers. And now the Canadian government came out and said, announced that they're enacting emergency powers and they're shutting down people's bank accounts. Now, imagine, imagine that your biometric ID and everything is all tied together in this one electronic database, this one utility, where all they got to do is at the touch of a button, they could shut down your entire life. You can't buy food. You might not even be at some point, you might not be able to get in your house or start your car. That's all in the works too. Uh, according to biometric ID, all this keyless entry stuff and, you know, uh, you know, face facial recognition scanning and, and all of this stuff to open doors and, and get in places, won't be able to go to your job, won't be able to go home, won't be able to get in your car, won't be able to buy food. Look how easy it would be for them to shut you up and shut you down instantly. If it's your social really credit score yeah. drops just enough below and the threshold. It's a compliance score, your social compliance score. And and people don't realize, I've been trying to tell people about Bitcoin. They're going on and on about Bitcoin and cash cryptocurrencies and how, and I know they're on blockchain. I'm like, it doesn't matter. If you can't get on the internet, you're fucked. So That's... stop anything cashless, anything you can't hold and hand over to someone else to exchange for something you need is a terrible fucking idea. I don't care what you say about Bitcoin and it, it doesn't matter because you can't turn your phone on. You can't get on the internet. You can't use it. It, it doesn't matter how much. And people are still not getting it. And even people that do this research, Wayne, um, are still buying into the Bitcoin thing. And I'm like, come on, you know where this is headed. You know this is not a good idea. And they're still doing it. And I, and I don't understand why they're not... They're, they're saying, oh, but it's... It's block. It's on the block, blockchain, and it's it's connected this, and they can't get it. It's not central, essential currencies. It doesn't matter if you can't get on the fucking right. internet. Precisely, and that's the point that people miss. Okay, it's a decentralized utility, but it's only decentralized for how long? That's the problem. If they have access of how you get to that decentralized utility, doesn't if matter. they control the access to that, it doesn't matter. You're yeah. right. If you can't get on the computer, if you can't log into a device. Because eventually everything is going to be like your little phone and everything. It'll be biometrically ID'd to you, right? Well, a lot of people already have the fingerprint identification or something on it. Um, and if they're able to lock you out of that because you violated their social, uh, their community standards and your social credit score plummeted, you're locked out of your phone. How are you supposed to access your electronic funds if you can't elect access an electronic device? Uh, because, you know, you, you're not allowed to use a, a public device or something like that in their new world order system. 
everything you do is going to be tracked and monitored and right to your biometrics. So if you can't log realize. on. I don't realize yeah. that, Wayne, is that, that you can still live amongst people like they do in China. But if you're locked out of the technology, you're locked out of the system. You right. can't live like they live. So it doesn't matter if you're physically in the same existence as them. You're not part of their world because their world is through this thing and you're not allowed in. So I think people are thinking, well, they will go off and like, oh, well, I'll, like I'll still be around people. They're, they're, they're visioning being in a prison. And what they don't realize is that if everybody's in the prison and you want to get in the fucking prison because that's where the food is, you're right. going to starve on the outside. Right. Does that make sense? And Oh, it makes absolute sense. And when you actually look at uh, all the things they have planned and the way they're talking about metaverse, okay, and the augmented reality and virtual reality aspect of this as well, it's all tied together and it's all all tied together. So you're not going to be able at some point to depend on human decency or uh, yeah. any type of uh, uh, empathy from people. Uh, because at some point, what's going to happen is they'll all be jacked in with their little virtual reality goggles or some aspect of that. Maybe an implant that allows them to see, to look around. They see somebody walking uh, in the supermarket or their ID will come up on the little uh, uh, heads up display thing and tell you things about them. And your social credit score will be there. So if you you walk in and you don't belong in the supermarket or whatever, and you come up, this person looks at you, sees, okay, this person has you know a social credit score in the negatives. They're locked out of things. They're a bad person. Uh, they, you know, yeah. I, I don't want to associate with them or my social credit score will go down too. So and they're not going to help in Canada you. now. We're seeing is if you go along and try and help the, the, the truckers, if you take right. fuel or petrol to them, your credits, your, um, sorry, your bank account will be frozen. You'll yep. be, your insurance will be cancelled. We're seeing this already, aren't we? Right. Absolutely. Guilty now, by imagine. association. Yeah. Now imagine if everybody's tied into this digital utility, uh, <laughs> it, it's the ultimate form of control. And that's exactly what they're going for. I mean, and it's sad what's happening in Canada. There's really people is. being trampled by the horses from the police there. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you saw any of those pictures. I did, on the yeah, I put, well, we worked, I, obviously I did Bad. a bit of work for David on his website. So he posted it today where the, um, he trampled the woman. There was a woman in a, in a mobility scooter on its mm -hmm. side, if I remember rightly. Yeah, it's 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 sad. It's sick. It's demented. Like I, I don't know how uh, these people could actually go down there and, and do that kind of stuff. They they they're literal Nazis. I mean, have we learned nothing from our history? Like if if you're a police officer and you comply to that, and you're going down there and you know busting up these these truckers and stuff like that, uh, and you know it, it's a peaceful protest. Nobody's gotten hurt or anything until now uh, with it. And basically, it's just because they don't want to have to get vaccinated to cross the border with the U.S. See, and that's what's going on, you know, because that's going to further disrupt this supply chain crisis. Right. Well, they're trying to blame that on the truckers protest now. And, you know, they they like to say, oh, the city of Ottawa, you can't get around and it's a big problem and the locals there don't like it. And yeah, well, here's the thing. Your stupid government won't comply. Okay, with the will of the people right, that we elect them to do. That's the problem. That's the problem. People need to see it for what it is. Uh, it's it's become a ruling class, not so much, you know, they're representing the people, the will of the people, because they're absolutely not representing the will of the people and they know it. That's why, you know, Trudeau went and uh, invoked these emergency powers there and is doing this stuff now.
And, and people it's, don't it's realize that people are, yeah, the connections between the World Economic Forum and the fact that Trudeau, Macron, Adhern, Ardern, Blair, or who was Ardern's tutor, basically, they're all young global leaders from the World Economic Forum. Obviously, then you've got Schwab's Great Reset and the stuff I said about earlier, the great narrative is his new book. Then behind that, you have the Rockefeller's Great Transition that no one ever speaks about as well. And that has a cult. When I've looked into this, this goes into one of the Rockefellers, goes into a one world religion. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I touch on that. I touch on that in the new book, too. Can we talk about that quickly before we go? I just want to quickly show you this. So this was the I don't know if you can see this, but this is what they said so you probably can't see it so when your child has a heart the one thing you don't oh, have i do is see a heart it, yeah. attack when your child has a heart attack the one thing you don't have is in time that was on the back of a, That's of insane. a, a letter from great ormond street that i get because obviously being there as a kid that was on the back when the kids have heart attacks that's 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 insane i mean that's that's sick it really sick. truly is they're trying to normalize this make it sound like oh this has always been a thing and this is so much of the problem. Imagine how much of our history is contrived. Think about that. Yeah. Because this is how they operate. People think fake news is bad. Have you heard about fake history? Because this is how fake history is made. Because what they're going to do is they'll go back, they'll rewrite the textbooks, and they'll normalize this. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, here's an interesting fact that goes along with that. Just yesterday, here in the U.S., the CDC changed its guidelines on uh, what kind of benchmarks young children are supposed to be meeting at a certain age, uh, whereas like say uh, for developmentally. So what it used to be the benchmark is at 24 months, your average child should have around 50 words in their vocabulary. They should know around 50 words. They changed that benchmark to 30 months yesterday. 50 so that they should know around 50 words at 30 months. That's two and a half years instead of two. And the reason behind that is because with all the face masking mm-hmm. and everything that's gone on the past two years, they're discovering children are significantly developmentally delayed because they can't see their parents' faces and stuff and be able to see how their mouths are moving to know how to speak and this kind of stuff. So instead of admitting there's a problem and saying we need to stop doing this, they're changing the guidelines to make it appear as if this has always been normal. And that's exactly what's going on with this. You see the games they play. Uh, so that's the thing. I mean, if you, we look back at, you know, back even a century or two ago, go back a century to uh, the 1920s. What was the education of those people back then compared to today? How far we've fallen? Think about that. If you go back and look, you could find some old textbooks and tests and stuff uh, from going back to that time frame. The things that these kids had to know, like, you know, to graduate eighth grade or something, your average college kid can't even do that these days. Uh, when you look and see that, how, fall, how far we've fallen with this whole thing. And, and this is exactly the game that's played. They change up what they, they view as being the normal and they, they revise the history to reflect the things that they want. And that's exactly what was just done at the CDC here yesterday, they changed that benchmark. So now they were recommending that if your child, your child was around, was 24 months old, he should know around 50 words. Well, now that's out the window. Now, if your child's around 30 months old, they should know around 50 words. So you see the games that they play. Uh, so this, this is the kind of thing. And it's the same thing there. They're trying to normalize the idea of kids having heart attacks, which is obscene and absurd. I mean, growing up, did, did you know any kids that had a heart attack? No, no, I it's sure gross. Did. 
It's gross that it's it on the on the back of the biggest children's uh, hospital in the world. Yeah. Um, that, that's it's... gross. That's disgusting. And I got it, and I was absolutely sent it to Gaz Gareth. Like, um, obviously, I'm good friends with Gareth, and uh, we were just like, I can't, I can't. Um, the war on children is horrific. I mean, we're we're probably the last generation, and we're quite similar age. I know you're a little bit older, not much. Um, of really understand this stuff. What I know, they're speeding up to 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 get this stuff in within certain hermetic uh what's well, so certain kind of occult timelines so they've got they want from now till 2030 we know the agenda 2030 is one of their goals um i think they've gone too far too much too soon um why do you think this is going to happen in the next 10 years because obviously if they want to miss this asia aquarius they've got this fork in a the road they've got the great awakening or they've got this 1984 which they're getting away with in austria and canada although austria is even pedal back now um new zealand's a hellhole what is where do they go from here and I, I i'm concerned about this great awakening i see a lot of people talking about about uh, this stuff that's very very airy fairy great awakening i'm one with the earth and all of this stuff and i'm sitting there going it, it sounds like you're mentally ill to me um you know we're emotionally ill i suppose is probably the best way to put it you're desperate for something to be true that's not you don't really want yeah, to live exactly. in the real world and you just want to think that everything's going to be okay, but it's not. And, and I have the same issues sometimes with, with Christian faith in a sense of God and Jesus are the only saviors. And you're like, but doesn't that do the same thing as don't do anything and wait for a miracle. And I feel like, like they can both be used. Not that they're essentially bad or anything. I, I believe in a God and I, I believe Jesus was a person um i i believe that there's a lot of stuff being put on his mythology but i do believe he's a good person he's taught great principles but i think they're being usurped used and in, inverted what is your take on that being a christian yourself and i know you have quite quite strong values in that which i i really do genuinely admire that in people oh uh, yeah uh, definitely they've they've usurped every angle of this that they possibly can in fact uh, if jesus uh we're here walking the earth physically today, like he was back then, he wouldn't even recognize his church. Honestly, mm. these are not the things that he taught, uh, the things that are being held up as Christian values and attitudes and stuff like that. Uh, and a lot of that has to do with, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of the teachings in the church have become this prosperity gospel kind of thing, uh, where, or, you know, it, it's just so convoluted, uh, because what has happened is, is even, the highest echelons of the church structure, the organized church, have become corrupted with false teachings and stuff like that. And these things have been promulgated and put forth through different uh, uh, schools and stuff that teach new up-and-coming pastors. So they get taught flawed theology, and they teach flawed theology to their, their congregations and stuff. So a lot of these things have really been convoluted from what the original intention and stuff was. Um, so here's the thing. All we could really do is look at the Bible look at the words from Jesus and uh, trust ourselves to understand what it's saying. Read as much of the context as you can, and you could understand it. You don't need some intermediary to tell you what it means. And that's a lot of where the church has gone wrong. They've always put a lot of, uh, uh, how should we say, a lot of power in the hands of a select few people like here's here's your pastor here's here's your priest here's the pope the pope says that this is what this means so therefore that's what it means 
No, <laughs> that's not how it works. Uh, and, and that's the whole thing that's happened with a lot of this. They've put way too much stock in authority figures telling you what this is supposed to mean to get you to not think for yourself, see? And that's all part of the game too. They don't want you to think for yourself. They want you to just listen to the authority figure. Don't we see that so much in everything going on today? Uh, it's, it's this whole same game that's been played all through history. Uh, now what we see going on uh, with this shifting and this new mythology they've created with the corona pandemic, um, we see what's happened is they're shifting the religious type power into the hands of science. And that's going to be the new God, the ecumenical God of the new age science. Don't you trust the science? See, they, they don't even use the term science in the right way. Trusting the science is the very antithesis of what science was intended to be. (laughs) So uh, that's, that's the thing. So they've, they've taken this and science is going to be the new God. And that's what they're trying to uh, the, the ends they're trying to get to with this new mythology, trust in the science, because the science is ultimately going to lead to transhumanism, which is going to lead to you uploading your consciousness into a virtual reality, a form of escapism, see? And that's what they know inherently mankind wants. If they make the world, the, the real physical world that we exist in here now, if they make it miserable enough, people will want to escape yep. into that virtual reality. Have you seen the movie Ready Player One? Same concept. They told us what they're planning on doing. So if they get their way, that's the kind of thing we're going to see coming in the, the coming future, um, is, is that kind of a concept where you'll be so miserable in your little uh, 10 by 10 apartment <laughs> living in poverty mm-hmm. uh, that your only escape from you know your miserable lifestyle will be to jack into this uh, virtual reality and you know, be entertained there. That's what it's all about. They want us constantly entertained and never really thinking about things that matter or developing things that matter. Okay. They're just vampirizing our energies for themselves. That's essentially what's been going on for the but longest they, they time. They are telling us like this, the church, you're talking about the Catholic church there. And you, talk, you mentioned the Pope, the Pope has been seen doing the, the twisty fingers up the, the Baphomet fingers like, do you know what? So when you look on on the image, he's of so above, as above, so below. I keep getting the wrong way around. Maybe that's 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 a, a thing. Um, but yeah, and, and his rod, he's got the rod with the two snakes on it as well. And mm-hmm. uh, um, that's been that scene in the Baphomet's belly. It's not as if they're not hiding it, is it? The, the, the symbology is there. The Catholic Church has this Baphomet goat of Mendes pan symbology in it, doesn't it? They're showing you that they're doing these things. Absolutely. And it's right out in the open. But see, if you don't speak their language or don't understand what those symbols mean on a conscious level, you don't recognize it. But see, your unconscious mind recognizes those symbols. It's an archetype. So therefore, you're in the trance, so to say. Okay, you'll do what they say. You'll, you'll take them as a figure of authority because they have this mysterious power uh, because they wield these symbols. Okay. Uh, so they're they're like the old witch doctor, if you want to go back to something like that. You, you listen to what the witch doctor tells you, or you'll have curses fall on your head. You know what I mean? So it's that kind of an archetype that it hits upon. Uh, so it's it's really one of those things. It's hidden out there in plain sight. Yeah. So, you know, and the Catholic Church, uh, you know, this is the whole mystery Babylon system. It's, it's come forward 
And, you know, I covered that in my, my last book, the Cybernetic Messiah book, where uh, it's actually taken a unification of the church and state together. And that's what the Vatican is. It, it's the Roman Empire transformed into uh, a quasi-religious organization for the, the purposes of controlling the masses. It's, it's an alchemical working of sorts. And, uh, you know, it's, it's only one step away from the transhumanist philosophy and the transhumanist idea. Uh, so that that's the missing component of it, but that will be coming soon if they get their way. Uh, so a lot of these things, they, they all tie together, but a lot of these ideas are hard for people to really grasp, uh, grasp a hold of in a firm way, because we're not taught to think in that way, are we? See, that's, that's the, uh, the other whole point is the way we've been educated and taught through our lives. We've been lied to about everything so much. We don't even understand uh, the subjective things like that. We're taught to think in terms of pure, quote unquote, science yeah. or things that could be objectively measured. Okay. These things like mythology and archetypes, um, symbolism, they can't be objectively measured. They're very subjective things, but they can still influence you. Yeah. And that's what people don't understand. It's the science of the mind. Exactly. It's the science of consciousness. See, and if you don't even understand what a consciousness is, um, this goes so much deeper. So uh, there's, there's so much more to it. So it's, it goes beyond just physical, objectively measurable things. These are subjective things that can have a real influence on you. And the, the power elite of this world understand that. And that's why, uh, you know, I like to point out, like I said in the, the beginning here, that book, that the changing images of man, where they acknowledge that they need these mythological archetypes and things of that nature in order to uh, shape public opinion and steer the public consciousness, because they understand that these are things that affect human behavior that we instinctively act upon, and they can't scientifically quantify it, and they don't quite understand it, but they've developed a framework to know the different ways that uh, these mythical archetypes will affect us. Okay, they've been watching. This is one of the things that the mystery schools or the secret societies have been doing through all the years. That's what initiatory practices are about. That's why they have initiation ceremonies and, you know, all these different degree systems and stuff like that. It's, you know, a way to indoctrinate the mind into accepting something as a truth or, you know, understanding something or believing something. See, and they understand that this is how this works. So even though it's not something that's objectively measurable, they know that it could subjectively affect people in certain ways because they've recorded this. And this is the stuff that they learn in the high echelons of the secret societies and in a lot of these uh, private schools that uh, the elites of this world attend, that classical education, see, the, the teaching of uh, the trivium, quadrivium, the rhetoric, the logic, all of these different ideas that were not taught in the public school system anymore. They understand a lot of these principles and they, they learn uh, how to use them. And I'll, I'll tell you one other thing that escapes most people. What, what does an economist do? I know this doesn't sound related. No, I'm sure it is. The economist, and an um, economist is supposedly someone who who, who who tells you all about the the value of money, I suppose, or the yeah, the use of money, the value of money. I know it has to do also to do with the the rod of of 
the the sort of the Baphomet rod that he holds, not the one the one with the two snakes, not the one snake. The one snake is the medical one. The two snakes is something to do with commerce. Actually, that's that's all backwards too. The, the one's called backwards? the Caduceus. The yeah. one's the Caduceus. The other one's the Rod of Asclepius. The yes. Rod of Asclepius, cla- classically, that's the one with the one snake. That was supposed to be the one that represented the medical system. Okay. The Caduceus. The Caduceus represents yeah, yeah. commerce. That's it, See? commerce. So, but they've yeah. got them the wrong way around. People get them mixed up, the two. Right. And that's done on purpose. But uh, originally, it was supposed to be the Asclepius rod is supposed to represent medicine. But we have the Caduceus representing medicine today. Because but it really a, represents because, commerce. Because it's a business. Because right. the medical industry is a business, not a, not a, nothing to do with medicine. Precisely. That, that's very, I didn't know that till today. I found that out just before I was doing my research that that's purposely even placed there to just say, hey, this is a business. This is a, an industry. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're here to do. And it's, but because they've done it so slyly, right um no one knows i didn't know and that's the thing i mean we walk through life unaware of what these symbols mean but you know what your mind recognizes the archetype unconsciously and it will affect you in a way that you don't understand Uh, and then that's the whole point here it makes you kind of it convinces you to participate in the system in a sense see it gives them a a type of power over you See, and that's that's why they use secrecy and stuff like this as a tool. If they know something that you don't, they know it's going to influence you in a certain way and you don't realize it. You don't even see it. And and that's why they do stuff like that. But uh, to get back to my point, in economists, they're social engineers. That's what they do. And, And that's little known to people. I mean, most people don't even grasp that. They're social engineers. The monetary system is just a system of measuring uh how, how should we say this this would be uh economic capacitance um they, they use different terms for this kind of thing it's a measure of human energy okay, okay. that's that's yeah. what money is it's a measure of human energy of sorts when you get to the the brass tacks of it all and uh economists are social engineers look at the other things they study as minors and stuff like that if you go back and look at okay this person majored in economics well where was he educated look at first where was he educated what schools was he at chances are it was a jesuit school or a major ivy league school and look at the other uh classics or the the other classes and stuff they took it like they're minors and stuff it'll be in the classics yeah you know mythology I'm telling you, go look. People don't believe this. I can imagine. Economists. Economists are heavily involved in social engineering. And it's it's a guys. They people just think, okay, well, these are the guys they they understand money and finance and they direct banks around central banks to do stuff. And that's only part of it, guys. They engineer behavior, they're social engineers. They know this. When you get to the highest, most levels of, of these Ivy League schools, why do you think people get involved with economics? Do they? Do you really think people like being involved in boring, dry mathematical stuff? <laughs> think about it. Uh, a lot of these ones that have a lot of influence in society, they're economists, aren't they? And they kind of do stuff behind the scenes, don't they? It's always it's it's the same kind of things involved. People don't don't see that stuff though, and that's why I think it's important that we point this stuff out. Yeah, I, I don't really hear anybody else talking about. Well, that. the core of this is people like they, they're talking about it all the time. The World Economic Forum, the World Economic Forum, the World Economic Forum. I know behind it is the Great Reset, but we're talking sorry, the Great Transition and the Rockefellers, which is I believe that 
that the great reset is almost like a a branded version for a commercial version to hide really the transition which is the time because when you say great reset i think you come it comes to mind maybe this is an archetype a deadpan overnight change when in the background you've got the rockefellers working on the great transition and that to me when and i know it's it, the great narrative klaus narrative. schwab shows the word narrative for storytelling yeah exactly and and see that's how nuanced a lot of this stuff is the world economic forum if it was really just about money mm. do you think they'd have so much influence into everything going on in the world right now sure think about that and, and here's another one just to throw out there the world bank back in 1992 published a paper on uh fertility regulating vaccines the world bank yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. think about it yeah. What are they really doing? What do, what do economists really do? And, and that's what people don't understand. And they never questioned or never even thought to question. It's right out there in the public World Economic Forum. Mm -hmm. They're doing more than just money making transactions, aren't they? Absolutely. Or, you know, coming up with new new banking principles, right? They, they're, they're socially engineering the world. They're the social engineers. And, and see, like that kind of information could be empowering for people to know. Mm -hmm. These are the ones that are steering things. It's not your politicians. They're just a puppet on a string. <laughs> you know, they're not the ones that come up with all these game plans. It's the economists and, and that kind of ilk, the, the think tank groups, the ones that practice the science of cybernetics, the, the science of whole systems control. That's what cybernetics is. And we've been misled on the definitions of these things. But when you go back to the roots of what they're all about, economists, cybernetics, look at these things, look at these principles. It, it's, it's not what the surface meaning that we think of means. Okay. It's, there's, it's a lot deeper than that. And, uh, you know, it's, it's something that escapes most people. But when you look underneath the surface, you see there's more there. I could think of, of, of economists that work in, in certain areas um, that would fit into that. Um, just before you go, because we've been done, uh, this has been excellent, and I'll split this into two parts. I wanted to get your take on Gnosticism. Um, to me, I've learned, I see a lot of it in loads of people's work, talking about the matrix and the fake reality and and the, and um, Yalda Bolt and, and all of these, these things about about Mother Earth and Gaia. And, and I see all of this and I feel like that that's, is that part of this great awakening narrative? Are they using archetypes here? Because this whole fake reality makes it seem like you're the god in this this game, and you're the one. This, do you know what I mean? That, that that kind of seems goes counterpart. And I know it was an offshoot of the Christianity, and you can find a, a, a fair bit of that in the Book of Enoch and stuff like that. Stuff that's been left out of the Bible. And I've looked into all these things, especially the last six or seven months. I've started to really look into this stuff. But I wanted to get your take on what Gnosticism is. Is it an archetype to be used for the Great Awakening, this other option? Well, the thing with Gnosticism is this is all birthed from the mystery schools. Okay, this is just a Christianized version of the same teachings from the mystery schools. That's essentially what Gnosticism is. And it all kind of teaches the same thing. It all leads up to the same different frameworks of what they think reality is or uh, more appropriately, it's, it's a template for what they want to build reality into, okay? Simulation, it all has to do with simulation, and uh, it all has to do with uh, the concept of a multiverse or a metaverse, and we see that pushed all over the place. Uh, 
in the social programming templates out there that we call entertainment. The concept of the multiverse, right? We see that. I mean, look at one of the big movies that's coming out here in May, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, okay? And they've been subtly programming this multiverse archetype into us for the past two years. I've noticed this and I've, I've made note of these things. And the reason they're doing that is because now they have announced publicly this idea of the metaverse, okay? And Facebook is, you know, takes a lot of credit for bringing this to the public forefront right now. But they've been developing this system for a long time. It's called Web 3.0 or Web 3. Uh, they've been working on trying to lay the groundwork for this, put the foundations of it up, and it's going to be called the metaverse. And there's going to be multiple metaverses throughout it. But the idea is it's it's a digital world. It's different digital worlds that you could at some point maybe upload your consciousness into or participate in. Um, and this plays exactly on the idea of a multiverse. Okay. So if we look at the concept of a multiverse, and a lot of this draws directly from these different Gnostic ideas and these different mystery school teachings. If you look at the concept of a multiverse, well, that designates that uh, there's more than one universe. And uh, if there's more than one universe, then chances are there really is no God, right? If you, if you really try to logic it out, there can't be because a God can't create multiverses, okay? And be the God of this multiverse and that multiverse. So it's, it's a simulation. It draws the idea back to simulation. And this is what Gnosticism draws heavily upon too. It's all an illusion. Life is but a dream. Listen to the song, row, row, row your boat. Yeah. Gently down the stream. Life is but a dream. All these ideas, these are all drawn from the old history schools and some of the teachings that they had there. And Gnosticism is one, one of those things. It's, it's just a different branch of the same mystery school uh, theologies and stuff like that. So essentially they're pushing the idea of this multiverse idea that uh, you know if there's a multiverse and maybe you could create your own universe and be the God of that universe, See, all these different ideas come from that. And if you get into the teachings of the Mormons, that's one of the things they teach is that, uh, uh, you know, if you obey the rules here and you're a good enough Mormon, uh, when you die, you become a god of your own world. Okay, I didn't know that. <laughs> it, right. it, I'm telling you, go look into the Mormons, Richard. That sounds it's, like a fucking asshole to me. <laughs> I'm yeah. with that. But you could be a god of your own world, oh, see? You could, and and that's one of the things that they teach in you know in Mormonism at the, yeah. the highest levels of Mormonism, yeah. uh, and, and and it's all of these different ideas. They all stem from the same places. See, so they've taken some true ideas and some true things, and they've twisted things in a different way. Like they 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 teach they teach you good solid true things along with a lot of these different uh, ideas that are, are kind of perverted when it comes down to it. It's perverting the, the natural order of things. If, if you look around in nature, everything's orderly, right? Mm. I mean, it all happens when it's supposed to. Look at the seasons. Everything happens when it's supposed to. How does a tree know when to bud and blossom sure. or when it needs to lose its leaves, right? And, you know, they scientists try to explain yeah. it. Oh, it's the temperature change. It's this, it's that. No, it, a lot of times it happens before the temperature uh, abruptly changes. It knows the cycle and the season. This all goes back to the hermetic teachings again. 
And what they're trying to do is usurp that kind of thing with a lot of these teachings. That's why this teaching of multiverse and stuff like that, it kind of negates the power of God in a sense, because if there's infinite possibilities, um, you know, in these multiverse, multiversal ideas like that, then um, I'm trying not to lose everybody here. It, it, does, yeah, it gets really deep, but yeah. Yeah, when, when you think in terms of that, if there's infinite possibilities and infinite uh, different universes and you could exist in multiple universes, because that's that's basically what the multiverse theory says, like you could exist in a in this timeline we're in now, but there's also an alternate version of you that exists in, you know, with where just one or two little minor things is changed sure. in, in the same time frame and stuff like that. These are the kind of things they're teaching and pushing now, right? So uh if, if you believe that, then, you know, any little minor alteration you make to your reality, if you have, you know, access to doing so, should be able to change things, or you could, you know, alter time and space and stuff like that. These are things they, they want you to think are possible, okay? Things like, you know, being able to travel through time, to change things on a fundamental level, to be a god, so to say, mm. all right? Because if you could if you could have branching timelines and stuff like that in a multiverse situation, well, then if you could figure out a way to go back to where the timeline branches off, you could make anything, effectuate any change and make anything possible. And that's why they push time travel narratives and stuff like that too. But we don't observe it in nature. It doesn't happen in the natural world. Yeah. Okay. So these are all contrivances of the mind where man wants to be able to play God and be God. So that's why they teach this multiverse theory. Okay. Because it's, it's the same kind of thing. If we could hack the system, so to say, and that's what they want to try and do. That's why they're trying to break the natural order uh, through, you know, uh, changing the, uh, the archetype of the coming age right? They're trying to break the natural order. If they could break the cycle, then in a sense, they have found a way to break the natural order that would make all these kind of things possible. I don't think they're going to succeed at what they're doing. Don't get me wrong. But from an occult perspective, yeah, yeah. what they're trying to do is if they could break the system, it's, it's, um, it's like thumbing their nose at God and saying, we don't need you anymore. We're the gods of this place now. And look what we've done. We were able to usurp your power and change this place. And that's exactly what they're trying to do with the transhumanist notion. They wanna change what it is to be human. They wanna change the whole natural world around us into an artificial system and be able to control it all and have that godly power. And one of the ways they do this in the minds of the people is to convince people that more than one reality exists that they could exist in. And that leads to these concepts of virtual reality, augmented reality, you could upline, upload your consciousness into a machine and maybe live in a virtual reality world or inhabit a new body, a new physical body, uh, you know, in some way, shape or form. And all these things are based on a hyper materialist viewpoint. They're all based on the material. OK, the things here, the material world, they're not based upon any kind of spiritual belief or idea. Yeah. And that's where they're trying to uh, to steer us. They want us locked in this physical um, hyper-materialist realm. It's, it's all about, it's, it's the ultimate form of materialism. Let's put it that way. They want to equate everything to a physical thing, make everything measurable. Okay. Make everything objective, make everything controllable. See, if you could measure something, 
you could control it in a certain way. And that's why they try to use this notion of science to try to measure and quantify everything. That's why they came up with quantum theory. It's all about counting things down to a, as much of a basic particle or operation as they possibly can, right? So they're trying to quantify subjective things now. That's what quantum science is about. That's why they have things like superposition. When you look at this from the scientific perspective, that something could exist in two states at once or in two places at once, right? It's not observable in nature. Like if you go outside, you're not going to see an object physically manifesting and appearing in two spots at once, the same exact object. Yeah. Well, they say this is possible through quantum, right? That's because they're trying to engineer us to believe that, okay? And they're using mathematics to do so. It's all based on mathematical models and computer models. They can't observe this stuff in the natural world. But they're trying to make us believe that they can. And this is one of those things where they're trying to leverage uh, your unconscious mind to believe this, to try and manifest it to be so. So uh, I hope I'm not losing you here. And no, I no, that actually just goes straight back to, to what you were saying earlier about the, 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 digital, the, the coding of this virus and then putting it into people and actually making the virus, using your body to create something that they can only, only see in their head. I mean, I mean I've just drawn this little right. thing here. That's the reset button, obviously, yep. on your computer. I mean, what does that say? It's the it's the breaking. It's a circle. broken circle, right? The broken circle. That's what the re great reset is. It's about breaking the circle, as you as you keep saying. It's everywhere. It's breaking the natural world. That's what they want to achieve. That's why they they have come up with these things like quantum science. That, uh, in my view, it's nonsensical. Okay, there's not a person alive that understands quantum science because it's based on things that don't exist. It's all theoretical math to make something that's not there. <laughs> that's what quantum is, okay? Now they claim they could measure these little bitty particles and stuff like that, but where do they measure them? Inside a computer simulation. <laughs> yeah, See, yeah. and they use simulations to model the reality, okay? I'm gonna read you a little portion of that book, Simulations. Yeah. Um, if I could find it here, bear with me for no, a minute. No, no, it's fine. That it points this out why you're trying to find it, because it's, this is incredible. And, and the fact is that it all comes down to fear and how they, they're terrified of not knowing what we're doing. And I, I kind of represent it as like, like we woke, life is odd because it's almost you've woke up on an airplane and you don't know how you got on the airplane and you don't know if the fucking thing's ever going to land and you have no idea where you're going. And instead of just sitting there and looking around and enjoying yourself with all the other passengers, you're looking out the window, you're trying to land the thing, you're trying to figure it all out. And that's what life's like. It is a free fall. It's an, it's an odd situation to be in. And they feel they're terrified because they don't understand anything. And they can't just let it be, as John Lennon said repeatedly in the chorus of that song. Right. Absolutely. I feel the gap there well enough. <laughs> you found <laughs> it. Yeah. I can see it for you. But it, it is amazing. It's, it's amazing to see all these things and how scared they are of not knowing why we're here and what we're doing. And it's, That's the thing. I mean, they, they want to create a purpose for themselves. So they've done so in trying to become God. See, they're, they're not serving like the creator or God, so to say. So they're trying to find some other purpose. And this relates directly back to what we were talking about with the whole God is dead idea put yeah. forward by Nietzsche. That's exactly what he was talking about. They're trying to manufacture purpose for themselves because they've lost the connection with the creator. And they don't want that connection because they think they could be better than him. 
They could be better than God. And that's what they want. They want ultimate control. It comes back to the Peter Pan thing as well, doesn't it? Peter Pan, Michael Jackson was obsessed with Peter Pan. And obviously there's a lot of mind control going on there. Peter Pan, live forever. Pan. (laughs) There's the Pan archetype in Peter Pan too. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. And and like, that's the thing. I mean, you you could see all of this stuff uh, and, you know, there's many different reasons for it. But all these connections are definitely there just because they're not necessarily like objectively measurable through science doesn't mean they're not real and that they don't have an effect they certainly do and i I think we could prove that in spades uh, you know just by this thing but uh what we see is essentially what they the uh power structure has tried to do is they create a simulation first and then they try to model the real world after the simulation whereas you know most people think a simulation is a model of the real world they do it opposite. Mm-hmm. They model the simulation first and then try to squeeze the real world into the box of the simulation. And that's what I'm trying to find in here because Brodrillard in this book, uh, Simulations, says it very well because it points out exactly that that's exactly what they do. Well, why are you uh, trying to find that? What uh, it was a great, I did an interview with this lady called um, Sandy Adams who talks about Agenda 2030 and Agenda 21. And her job in the early 90s was to, and, and it was fun, Bill Gates actually turned up and saw this. Um, they made a little, in London, they took out a square, like mile, of, not square mile, like a block. And they modelled what is going to become a smart city. They modelled it there. They had everything connected. This is early 90s. This was just right. after the Earth Summit Um where 179 different leaders from all over the world came up. That's where they put all this green um, sustainable development horseshit into place, what they're rolling out now. But anyway, my, my point is that they were modeling a smart city there and, and they were modeling what you, you just explained, but they wanted right. it everywhere. They were simulating a world in a little block to see how it goes. And that's early 90s. So Oh, yeah. They've out. been doing this stuff a long time, and the technologies that they have are years in advance of what's out there in the public sector for a lot of these things. But here, I, I found it. This, I think, explains it pretty well. Now, I, I quote here, this is Baudrillard in his book, Simulations. He says, the real is produced from miniaturized units, from matrices, memory banks, and command models. And with these, it can be reproduced an infinite, indefinite number of times. It no longer has to be rational since it uh, is no longer measured against some ideal or negative instance. It is nothing more than operational. In fact, since it is no longer enveloped by an imaginary, it is no longer real at all. It is a hyper-real, the product of an irritating synthesis of combinatory models in a hyperspace without atmosphere. In this passage, to a space whose curvature is no longer that of the real nor of truth. The age of simulation thus begins with a liquidation of all referentials. Worse, by their artificial resurrection in systems or of signs, a more ductile material than meaning in that it lends itself to all systems of equivalence, all binary oppositions and all combinatory algebra. It is no longer a question of imitation, nor of reduplication, nor even of parity. It is rather a question of substituting signs of the real for the real itself. That is an operation to deter every real process by its operational double a metastable programmatic perfect descriptive machine which provides all the signs of the real and short circuits all its vicissitudes never again will the real have to be produced this is the vital function of the model in a system of death 
or rather of anticipated resurrection, which no longer leaves any chance even in the event of, a, of death. A hyperreal henceforth sheltered from the imaginary and from any distinction between the real and the imaginary, leaving room only for orbital recurrence of models and the simulated generation of difference. So that to me, <laughs> if I can get my head around any of that, that seems to be, is, he, is that long-winded way of saying I'm getting rid of all the laws of reality and going to just create anything I want? Is that kind of, are we seeing a little sort of mini version of that in, in transgender, I can be anything I want from day to yes, day? Yes, sir. That kind of you mentality. Did I get winner, it? <laughs> winner, chicken dinner. You got it right there. That's exactly what it's talking about. It talks about we don't need the real world anymore. We can model it and make the model so close and the real to fit with the model so closely that uh, it could be whatever we want it to be. And then he also goes ahead and, and uh, makes an homage that this is a system of death. Did you catch that part in there too? It's the death cult that runs everything. Death and resurrection. He even spoke of resurrection. He's using very occult language there. So this pan guy, to Jesus, Jesus back to pan now. That's exactly what's going on. That's what they're trying to switch the model back. Okay. They're trying to push us back in a spiritual sense. They're trying to quell us down uh, because, uh, you know, you hear all the hippy dippy nonsense about the new age and the age of Aquarius and, uh, you know, the, you know, evolution of man and the rising of man's spirit and man becoming uh, more spiritually adept and all of this stuff and all the things that they say, that's not what they're looking for. Okay, they want to skip the Aquarius age and go straight to Capricorn. Okay, because that reinvokes us back to the pan archetype. Mm. Okay, that's exactly what they're looking for the pan archetype. The pan archetype represents the ram and the goat. Okay, the goat of Capricorn. And this that's the inversion. Okay, that's where the inversion takes place pan, Baphomet. It's the same symbol, it's just the inversion of the symbol. And that's what they're looking for the inversion. They're quelling us back down They're They're uh, trying to uh, make us on par with animals. Okay. Cause this, we're at a place. Pan, where... Sorry, this pan, was it like a transhuman robot? All I'm thinking now is deadpan in my head. When you, you say something and it's, there's no nothing. Deadpan. In it. There you go. I mean, there's another uh, equitable phrase there. Deadpan. Deadpan. The great it seems pan transhumanist. Is You're just doing it and there's nothing there. Soulless. You, you, you say something deadpan transhumanism mm -hmm. in the humanity of what you're saying is gone that right. just seems like is there something there or am i just that blinking thing no no think of that phrase where'd that phrase dead pan come from yeah. well pan is dead right <laughs> yeah. it's the same thing it, it's dead it's without spirit it's without animus mm -hmm. okay that's what dead means and michael hoffman actually calls this the reign of dead matter uh that that's if you've never looked at uh, michael hoffman's books or anything definitely look him up he's brilliant brilliant uh, he wrote uh, the, his uh, book was uh, Secret Societies and Psychological Warfare. Uh, that one's that one's must read. And then he just recently built or put out a new book called uh, The Twilight Language just last year. Okay. And that one's really good too. So uh, he he touches on a lot of these different ideas. Like he understands. Uh, the idea of archetypes and stuff like that. And he talks about uh, this coming transhumanist age and what's been underway for the long time now is the reign of dead matter. Uh, and that's what it's all about because it's about soulless, spiritless materialism just existing. And that's, that's what the transhumanist uh, ideal will be.
it's it's soulless it's without spirit it's without animus without an animating principle so before we go um i just want to kind of end it then on on how does your faith the jesus like even if people don't believe jesus ever existed just take the story and the message and the understanding of what these teachings were trying to teach whether you agree that it was a real person or not i mean i personally i agree there was i now believe and never did but i do now believe that there was a person called jesus um i feel like there's loads of stuff put on top of it but none the wiser none, it doesn't matter my point is what is that trying to teach us and why is that so pivotal and point poignant and why is that needed now why are they trying to get rid of that how important is that narrative of the jesus story right now uh, i think it's fundamental to everything i mean it's all about our personal connection with god with the creator it's it's very uh, much that spiritual need in humanity we all yearn for this spiritual need and uh, the transhumanists and the, you know this cult of death that runs things they're yearning for it, but they don't understand that that's what they're yearning for. Their spirit mm -hmm. yearns for that. So they always reach out and try something newer and grander. They go and they buy a bigger house, a bigger car. It's it's the materialism and materialism doesn't feed your soul. And that's the problem. And it's, it's a spiritual thing. We all have a need for that. Okay. We have a need for the spiritual. And uh, what Jesus taught us was whether you believe he's a real person or not. And I, I personally do. I, I know him as my, my Lord and Savior. Um, he, what he taught us is the most important thing. Uh, and essentially, it's this. Love one another and treat others how you want to be treated. It's essentially that. And everything else falls in place with that. that that's, that's it. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the two major tenets that he tried to teach us. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. So treat people how you want to be treated and everything else falls in place. Like your will will align with God's then. You, you won't uh, seek to do sin if you do those two things. Just love God and love your neighbor. And that's, that's the bottom line. Those are the, his teachings in a nutshell. And that's the most important part of it. And people have taken the things he's taught and twisted and convoluted them and made it back into a system of legalism. See, that's what Jesus came to fix. Okay, he came to fulfill the law. He said this in, in the Bible. I come, I've come to fulfill the law. And so we're not bound to that legalistic system anymore, that system of, of punishment, so to say, because that's what the law was. That's what the Old Testament was. It was the law. Okay, these are these are the commandments God laid down for people to follow. This is your moral absolutes. Okay. He knew full well mankind could not fulfill the law to the letter. That's why Jesus came. He came to fulfill the law for us so that we could be reconciled with God. He came to fix that, okay? And that's where people get lost and hung up on things. They're still trying to follow that legalism. And, and that's the problem with religion because religion is equivalent to legalism. And Jesus came to fulfill all that. And all we have to do is love God and love our neighbor as ourselves and then everything else falls into line. You don't have to worry about it. See, whereas there's a lot of Christians out there that worry about, is this a sin? Is that a sin? Yeah. I better be careful. I, I don't use cuss words, this and that. And, and like, it, it becomes a, a, an even more strict form of legalism. And that's why a lot of people have turned away from the faith because they're hanging on to that legalism and Jesus came to fix that. Now, 
with the advent of Pan, we will be back bound into legalism and there will be real consequences for that as we see if we get caught in their digital machine, won't there? And, and that's what it's about. We're, we're not gonna be free anymore. Jesus came to free us. This is an age of freedom and empowerment. And uh, the age of Aquarius that's supposed to be coming is also supposed to be that, even more so, an age of freedom and an age of, uh, you know, spiritual enlightenment of a sort, this kind of thing. But if they get their way and usurp that and, and try to uh, break the cycle and break the natural order, then we're going to be bound back into this legalistic system once again, and it'll be worse than it was in the past. So that, that's, that's the bottom line with that, in my view. So I hope that uh, sheds a little light on it for you. No, it's fantastic. This has been a tour de force of, of we can do this all night, but it's been of two hours. So, Wayne, and that, that's incredible. Um, guys, I hope you got out of this. I'll split it into two, two parts so you can kind of easily digest it and go back and forth. Um, when is the book out and where can we find it and where can we find your other works as well? Uh, all my works are available on Amazon. I mean, you know, I, I know people say, oh, the evil corporation, can I get it somewhere else? Well, in order for an author and researcher like myself to be able to do this in a cost-effective way, unfortunately, I have to use the system they have in place to do so. And that being the case, I will use this system to put out good information and do something good because all these things are tools and they could be used for good or bad. And I choose yeah. to use it for good while I still can. So therefore, uh, you could find all my books there. This one should be available. I would like to have it out uh, for release for February 22nd. Um, and there's a reason for that. And I think I mentioned this in the show. I teased that in the beginning of the show. Yeah. So I'll tell people sure. uh, the 22nd is 2 uh, This is utilizing master numbers uh, to leverage um, the archetype of the master builder and the catch 22 as they've done against us. So I'm doing that right back against them. That's my intention behind it. Uh, so I'm hoping that this book. Uh, you know, goes, goes viral out there. Like people will pick it up and understand the things that I, I'm trying to point out in it and maybe have a new understanding of how things came to fruition with this whole, uh, you know, situation that's come up this past two years. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm trying to leverage the sky clock, so to say, the same way that the elitists do with all their release dates. And they, pur they, you know, they purposely time things for certain days and events and things like that. So I'm trying to do the same thing back against them. So that, that's why I'm planning Tuesday, the 22nd of February, 2022. The Tuesday, Super Tuesday. Tuesday. Well, I'll definitely put this out. The links will be low. So I'm going to put this out um, over the next couple of days. So you'll have that out. And I'll make sure that as soon as, it, as soon as the link goes up, that goes straight in the description. And guys, get these two as well, because these two have enlightened me a lot. So these two. And I know you've got your, your first book that you wrote as well about, about autism. And, um, and that's very close to your heart. I've got a nephew. My nephew's autistic, um, so it's, it's something that's very close to my heart as well. Um, and um, so that's another book that you can get, which I can see just appearing over, one of you, over your shoulder there. So, guys, I'll put all the links below. Wayne, thank you for your time. You've been very generous with your, with your time today, and I'm sure there's more, much more we can cover, but I will put the links below and um, links to your Rockfin, Rockfin video account as well, which is fantastic. And this information no one else is talking about. Wayne's the only person I can find that's talking about it at this, this level, so... Thank you for your time. I really appreciate it, mate. Thanks, Richard. It's always a pleasure talking to you, my friend.
But I'm unapologetically fly, I don't wonder why, that's just my attitude. Yeah, okay, hey, that's just my, uh, 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 come on, yeah, yeah, uh.